Master Yoda, my name is, and listen to the Order 66 podcast. I do not. It is too bad. Yes, too bad for listening. <laughs> this is Twi'lek goodness, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast with my clothes on. Hello, this is Muddy Spaceboat, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast with my clothes on. Execute order sixty six. This episode of the Order 66 podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, GoDaddy.com and Buy.com. Welcome back, Gamer Nation. This is Sunday, May 31st, 2009, and... We are here on time for the first time, apparently, in a long time. Yeah. For the Order 66 podcast, number 68. I'm GM Dave, and with me, as always, Mr. GM Chris. Hello, sir. I'm here. He's talking, but his mic is muted. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's, you know, the the curse of the uh, overly mic- micified. Uh, yeah. What is up, Gamer Nation? It is I, GM Chris, and I am here, unmuted, unleashed, and unstable. And uh, for those who uh, may have walked into this uh, room for the very first time, this is, of course, the Order 66 podcast, the only fan-generated podcast entirely devoted to the glory that is Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. Indeed. How are you, Dave? What is up, man? Dude, I am... I am rolling. I am rolling. I am... I'm uh, well. I'm a little sick, actually. A little yeah. under the weather. Uh, picked up a bug in California, and how was how was California? Dude, California was a freaking blast. I have not had as much fun on a soccer trip ever. I think ever e- ever ever ever. It it had a lot to do with the company I was keeping, of course. But it was yeah, dude. It was fantastic. Company you're keeping, meaning. Uh, meaning Taylor had a couple of friends with her, uh, the goalkeeper and another defender from our team, and uh, goalkeeper's mom and said defender's dad, and we kind of made a little group of ourselves, and it was just, I mean, it was great not hanging out. I mean, I don't know. I don't know See, how I to thought, explain I, it. I thought you were talking about different, a different kind of company. What? You know, didn't you like happen to meet somebody in California while you were there? And you oh, know, yeah, that other thing, the other thing, yeah, 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 yeah. That was Sam Whitwer, indeed, <laughs> indeed. We met. I met. I well, we all got to meet Sam. And I'll go ahead and do this right now, Sam. You sir, you are. If you haven't listened to the Holocron already, um, if you noticed when you met my wife and my daughter. My daughter kind of stood over to the corner, just kind of looking at you out of the corner of her eye and twi- t- kind of just twitching back and forth. And uh, 
Yeah, dude. You've got a 12, 13-year-old crushing on you. Just wanted to let you know. <laughs> we're, we're walking back to the car after, you know, after we do Grumman's in the hotel. Uh, I'm sorry, the Hollywood Boulevard thing and all that, right? And we're headed back, and she immediately says, Your friend was hot for an old guy. Yeah, so there you are, Sammy. Good job, man. Oh, wow. Anyway, he got his shirt. He loved it. He says, TG, thank you for the dice bag. He got the dice. He was all, man, he was just one big happy camper. And we sat there on Hollywood Boulevard and talked for, I don't know how long, honestly. It might have been an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, something like that. And, you know, as I feared, TMZ came after me with the cameras. You know, they were like, get out of the way, dude. And I I don't know what, they were like, GM Dave's here on Hollywood Boulevard. It was unbelievable. Wow. Why well, can't wait to see the internet pictures it's, that are up? It's tonight, man. It's uh, Sunday night. TMZ. Watch it. Wow. What an announcement. Yeah. And uh, speaking of announcements. Speaking of announcements. What? Are you trying to move me along? <laughs> Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisitions. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Okay, so as I mentioned a second ago, Fiddleback and I got Holocron number twelve up, and I was substantially nice. more sick then than I was than I am now. Really? Yeah. Just be forewarned, though, that we kind of. We go through Bioware's updates, and we just kind of go through our stuff, and then we, we really we, we got nothing. We, I mean, we had our sack in full view, our big sack of nothing. So be warned. <laughs> the show kind of sucks. But uh, oh. listening back to it again, it really wasn't that bad. We were just, you know, I was sick. He had a bad day at work, and we tried to do this on a Friday, and it just it seemed rushed. And then, of course, Bioware today puts out this massive... Well, actually, not Bioware. Um, they did a an interview with a magazine that obviously was not supposed to be published yet, but it got published today. So it came uh, out before E3 started, and so now we're all ablaze with good news about Sweater. Sweater. SWTR, yes, indeed. So anyway, you guys take a listen to uh, Holocron number 12, and you will like it. It's good stuff. It's or good my stuff. name and, and is not GM Chris. Oh, yeah. And if I'm, if I'm also correct... Uh, Mostly Joe and his machinations managed to secure the man, Mr. Steve Kenson, again, who returned to rap with uh, Mostly Joe for episode 15 of Meanwhile, the Super Gaming Podcast, with some more mutants and masterminds goodness, yes? Ah, yes, indeed. Ah, it's yes. Fantabulous, That's... actually. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And um, also, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Radio Free Homlet returned from the briny depths of Reaper Khan. With Adventure 21, all uh, about Sorcerer. Beautimous. I know. And, and dude, okay, I, I, for one, being the Eberron junkie that I am, I'm anxious, anxious to get my hands on the 4th edition Eberron guide. And I'm also anxious to get my sweet, sweet fix with one of the incoming episodes from RFH that I was talking to DM Tim about. Because um, he got the chance to interview Keith Baker at Akon in Dallas. Yee! 
<laughs> and uh, they're going to be uh, having a huge like Eberron centric episode coming out when the guide comes out. I can't freaking wait. It's nice. Awesome. It should be great. I think. Right? I, uh, I certainly hope so. Right. And we also have some brand new news. News. New news. Do do we do we not? Uh, yeah, I believe we do actually. Brand new, as in brand spanking new. Oh, we. If you've noticed, if you've been on the D20 radio forums, you've noticed a new forum has popped up, and I am very proud to announce that we have a new podcast that is hitting the airwaves in the next couple of weeks, and it is for your, for your D20 modern edification. So all you fans out there from an underserved genre, rejoice right now. Department 7, a new podcast that's uh, entirely devoted to D20 modern role-playing, and it's uh, their host, Agent Vincent, Agent Keith, and Agent Rick. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. They're going to explore the dark side of the D20 modern world. So welcome, guys. As, uh, you know, I think I'm not the big modern fan, but I think you are ready am. to rock and roll with this. I am. Not? I am. I'm a huge modern fan, and I can't wait. And, you know, for the fans of Star Wars Saga Edition who may never have played modern before, I think it's safe to say that modern was kind of the granddaddy of Saga Edition. It was one of the first D20 systems to have the talent concept, um, as well as very generic classes. And um, if you've never played Modern, you really should, man. Know your roots. I'm telling you, it's a great system, and there's a lot of uh, goodness there to be had. So we're excited to have um, uh, Department 7 joining the D20 Radio ranks. And when is that episode, the first episode coming out, like in the next week or two? I think sometime before mid-June. I'm not absolutely positive, but yeah, in the next two weeks. Imperial troops have entered the base. Imperial troops have entered the base. Welcome to Echo Base, little scum. We're the Empire, and we're here to help. Okay, yeah, so this is the part of the show where normally we say hello to the chat room, and so to the 80, 80, what the heck happened? I looked over there, it was 31 a second ago. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, I think we all know the answer is that my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Oh, oh gosh, here we well. go. <laughs> and with that, our newest guest, or our <laughs> oldest guest, from your, depending on your point of view, right? Yes, yes. Of course. Jedi Master Rodney Thompson, welcome again to the show, sir. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I think, I think, Dave, you'll find that most of the truths we cling to in life depend on your point of view. Thanks, Obi Wan. It's not a problem at all. Sir. I appreciate no. that. So, yeah. So, thanks to the chat room. If you guys want to get in on the chat room, join d20radio.com. Check it out at the live chat link. And if we have time later, we're going to debut live phone calls. Indeed, if we yes. have, if we really? have time. Wow. I, I have a telephone number and a way to be able to take live phone calls now as we ever expand our greatness that is D20 Radio <laughs> and the podcast domain that we are. So, yeah. All right, so how are contests going there, buddy? Contests are going and going and going. We've got one major contest going on right now, the, the Reaper Mini Extravaganza. Um, thanks to our fine friends at Reaper Miniatures, we have received a bundle of swag. So awesome, so regal, so mini-tastic that it begs to simply be given away. But we're not going to give it away. You have to earn it. So yeah, that's what we're going to do. Uh, so in honor of Reaper, we've begun two contests. The first, the Star Wars Mini of Your Wildest Dreams. Pull out your paints, pull out your green stuff, pull out your glue, modify, and paint the coolest Star Wars slash sci-fi mini that you can. The only condition, you must use a Reaper miniature. 
And while you're digging through that Casket Works catalog, find a fantasy mini to also suit your needs and paint it up, too. We want to see your best fantasy slash D&D mini. And again, it must be a Reaper mini. Uh, contest details and entry guidelines are uh, available right now at www.d20radio.com forum. And there you can see what's already been submitted and get your own stuff up there. Um, each participant is allowed a single entry into each category. And the winners, or winner, uh, you could win both potentially, will get a freaking cool bundle of swag. Uh, we want to thank the fine folks at Reaper for judging this contest, uh, mostly because it frees up all the D20 radio contributors and hosts to also participate. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. So get your game faces on Gamer Nation and bring it, because it's rotten contest ends june 30th <laughs> june 30th is the yeah okay so now we've got some con goodness to get to and specifically origins so specifically that's right the origins game fair in columbus ohio starts june 24th goes through june 28th and our own vader son will be there in the house in the hizzy as it is to speak the, per- the proverbial hizzy yes. the proverbial hizzy that's right duncan McEwen, look him up because he will be there with the second of d20 radio's con modules and the it is called the Death of the Star of Agnor. So, Duncan is going to be running slots Wednesday at 7 and Friday at 2 p.m. Wednesday at 7 p.m., Friday at 2 p.m. And he's going to be running a session of the Betrayal of Darth Revan at 9 a.m. on Friday. So, how about that, Bubba? He's, isn't he running? He's running another game system as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, his second favorite gaming system after Saga, of course. <laughs> um, Duncan's probably going to hit me for that. Uh, Dark <laughs> Conspiracy uh, with uh, the adventure Terror from the Woods at 10 a.m. on Sunday. And Rodster, correct me if I'm wrong, you are also going to be at Origins, are you not? Yes, I am. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be there for the company, for Wizards of the Coast, and uh, I'll be doing some seminars. I'll be doing some game mastering and dungeon mastering, and I will be doing some hanging out in the big bar on two. So if anybody <laughs> is able to make it to uh, Columbus for that, I highly recommend you find me in one of those three places. Uh, basically, after the show floor closes, I pretty much park it uh, in the uh, the big bar on two and hang out with all my uh, game designer buddies. But always feel free to come up and say hello. That's right. If you ever want to be dismissed by somebody with a huge head, just show up there. <laughs> I'm not talking about you specifically, Rodney. <laughs> I don't have a very big head at all, actually. I know. <laughs> but there are others that might. You want to call anybody out? Come on. I know you want to do it. No, no. I, that would get me Dang. in a lot of trouble. And Dang Besides, it. the best way to uh, make sure that you get lots of beers bought for you at a convention is to uh, stay in good standing with your fellow designers. Oh, there you go. Uh, okay, fine. Dang it. I can never get you in the trouble. Ugh. Nope. All right, so did you get a postcard this week? I did get a postcard this week. Um, and uh, this postcard is um, it's, it's very, very light and wispy with an almost crystalline structure that makes kind of strange tones when I shake it. Um, and the emotionless words written on the card read, The planetary government of Vortex provides this card for convenience's sake. From across the galaxy, it's time for Postcards from Commander Cody. Dear GM Dive and GM Chris, 
Hi guys, my unit is back on mission duty this week, and we've travelled to the Goliath Sector, to the planet Vortex. The Empire wishes to search out this strange world for potential loose natural resources that we might be able to negotiate away from the native Vor's population. The planet itself is fairly idyllic, with areas of forest and vast plains, but the most marked feature of Vortex is the violent weather and very sharp winds. An unusual axial tilt causes the planet's poles to ice over very quickly during winter, and the annual extreme pressure shifts create gales of wind across the world, dubbed to be seen to be believed. The natives have built their cities in places of relative safety. There's always a constant breeze or a strong wind that blows here. The native Vor's population are a strange bunch. Saurians with large membranous wings that stretch from arm to leg. The Vor's are capable of flight, yet usually live in underground huts to protect them from the worst of the weather. The exception to this are the tall buildings of their cities, the most notable being the Cathedral of Winds, a crystalline structure that uses their peculiar technology to emit soothing tones when vibrated by the wind. These tones are at the heart of Vor's music as well, which is a focal point of their culture, and, frankly, the only form of expression and emotion these heartless reptiles possess. On the whole, they seem devoid of any emotional feeling, and are very cold deal. Well, our surveys discovered no ores or minerals of any real value. And I can't say I'll be sorry to leave this wind-blasted world and its inhabitants. Our search continues. Now, the Empire keeps looking for more resources, almost as if we were running out. <laughs> I know they're just being careful and prepared. I thank the Maker that I've got the chance to serve the greatest government the galaxy has ever seen. Later, guys. Long live the Empire! Your friend, Commander Cody. Very nice. Good of him to write. Very, very good of him to write. I've, uh, I've not been to Vortex, although I understand it is an aptly named world. Vortex. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Lots of trailer parks there, I bet. Oh, oh. See, here we go why'd again. You, why'd you have to go there? Well, you know, it's my job. <laughs> For one, <laughs> you know, I mean, meteorologist and all, you know, you gotta you gotta call out the trailer parks for what they are: tornado magnets and. True that. You know. True that. You know, if I ever hit the lottery and bought my own, actually, I would like have my own soccer club. It would be called Vortex. That would be really really cool. So for that left turn, brought to you by our sponsor, Buy.com. And we'll go ahead and step into the bay. D20 docking bay, hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Well, you know, I'm stepping into the docking bay, but it's not really. The docking bay, as usually the case with Rodney, is basically yeah. going to be the show. Yes. Precisely. That's what we say. That's, that's what we say. All right. Uh, Are you up yeah. for this, Rodney? We have about nine gazillion questions for you. I saw that. I'm uh, looking forward to taking a crack at them, too. So, yeah. So, basically, we're going to suspend the normal operations of the show. And we are going to go with 
more along the lines of a question and answer session for Rodney. We're not going to go. Typically, we, we spend some time going through the book, and then we go through questions, and then by the time we're done, we, we're, we've talked for two and a half hours, and really, we could have covered it just with the questions. So this way, we get more questions in if we just talk about the questions. So Correct. there you go. Correct. Correct. So, all right, fire away. Well, um, the Gamer, as Dave mentioned, Rodney, the Gamer Nation kind of came out in force to ask you a whole bunch of questions about the Jedi Academy training manual and a bunch of non-Jedi Academy training manual questions as well. But obviously the focus of this episode primarily is uh, is J-A-T-M, Jadam. I'm just going to refer to it as Jadam, I think, if that's, yeah. Yeah. We just call it Jedi Academy around the office, so. Oh, okay. Well, okay, well. We're, yeah, okay. Jedi Academy, that, that works. But we got some crunchy questions and some creamy questions about this book, and if you're ready, we'll jump right in. Um, starting off with character options. Um, now, as usual, there, there's a lot of, of great new feats and new talents in this book. Um, now, in terms of feats, we had a question from uh, one of our moderators, Donovan Morningfire, who wanted to know, the new feats that are in the book, are they on any class's list of bonus feats, or are they character-level feats only? Uh, no, they are intentionally not uh, bonus feats for any class. Uh, I know that it, we've accidentally left the bonus feat table out before. Uh, in this case, we decided not to make them bonus feats for any particular class. Oh, well, there we go. That That's quick and easy, so no errata needed for that. <laughs> easy peasy, It, it right? was intentional. Very nice. Okay, so uh, Knight Aaron JR comes up and says, All right, so the call weapon talent on page 19... As part of the uh, Jedi Artisan Talent Tree, can this be used to call a lightsaber on your person? Basically, can a Jedi Artisan essentially use this talent in place of, say, Quick Draw, as long as the lightsaber that he has on him was built by him? Uh, yeah, actually. In fact, that's one of the really big reasons why that ability is there. In addition to, you know, the ability to snatch it away from... You know, General Grievous's belt or what have you. It's there to kind of let you do the the neat little Yoda thing without having to also spend a you know feed on quick draw. Um, the Jedi Artisan was actually kind of a tricky one because when I was looking at the original Jedi Artisan that was created for the Living Force campaign, I was a little underwhelmed by its abilities. And uh, since we don't do five level uh, prestige classes anymore, I didn't want to do just you know one or two talents and and really not have a whole lot you know else going on there so um i kind of took a uh like i took the flavor of the original jedi artisan in mind but then i wanted to rebuild it from the ground up and basically say okay we're gonna sagaify this and basically make it to where this is a little bit more uh in line with what we have here and i the other the other thing is I wanted people to, that were taking the Jedi Artisan uh, talents, I wanted to feel them to feel like they weren't really lagging behind the other Jedi Knights, right? Like, you know, if you look at it, like I could take Jedi Battlemaster talents or Jedi Artisan talents in the past, it would not be much of a question. So this time around, I hope that there's enough utility in those that the, the Jedi Artisan has, you know, he has things to do that feel cool and feel like they're contributing to the, you know, to the party's progress. Very cool. Yeah, I, I first saw it, and my first thought is, and of course, you mentioned it was the little trick Yoda does in at, at the end of episode two. Um, just awesome. Um, well, we had Darth Prefect with a question uh, about the uh, Matukai Adept talent, uh, body control, um, found in the Matukai Adept talent tree on page eighty-one. 
and he wants to know, when using the secondary application of this talent, spending a, a force point to become immune to poison, radiation, and disease, does that remove any ongoing conditions of either of these you might already have? For example, if, if my Mutsukai adept has become infected with the Rakul disease, can he then use this talent to remove it, or would only help him resist conditions inflicted on him after the talent has been activated? Uh, no, when you become immune to something, uh, it takes effect immediately. So if you have an ongoing condition and you suddenly become immune to that condition, then that condition is then removed. Awesome. How awesome, awesome is that, Mr. Ratghoul? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave doesn't like the fact that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a large fan of rat ghouls. I like throwing them into my games. So. Yeah, I have never it, been infected, it, I might it, add. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying I've never been infected. I've just, a lot of the party has. Yeah, if it weren't for the ability to basically immediately wipe away um, conditions and diseases and, and stuff like that, then I feel like that talent would be kind of weak. Uh, so, yeah, this is basically a way for you to to clear it out and not have to worry about uh, having to deal with it you know, for the rest of the encounter as well. Cool. That makes good sense. All right, so there was a big section on equipment, and lots of new stuff was introduced here. And so, um, of course, we had some questions regarding equipment. We're, and we're By the way, we're kind of breaking this into... into uh, logical segments, so to speak, for character options and now equipment, and we'll get to the force here in just a second. But Darth GM asks, who worked on the equipment section, and was there any consideration to the twin-bladed lightsaber gauntlet we've seen Plo Koon wearing in his uh, Revenge of the Sith concept art? Um, the slides show a collectible statue and the Clone Wars action figure. So perhaps a web enhancement is forthcoming. Can you comment? Um, <laughs> I've seen it. Uh, without you know knocking on you know, concept art or action figures or anything, I'm not a huge fan of it just because it conjures up too many uh, images of Wolverine and such. But um, <laughs> yeah, so to answer the actual question. Uh, I was the one that designed the equipment chapter, and uh, at the time, I was not aware of it, but I've since become aware of it. I don't think you'll be seeing that in an upcoming web enhancement, just because it uh, it's one of those things that's sort of on the silliness borderline for me, and uh, I don't I don't foresee me spending the time and resources to uh, you know design and develop something like that. But you know, it's not that different from just wielding two lightsabers. So you might be able to make the argument that, um, you know, that's just a flavorful reinterpretation of wielding a lightsaber in each hand. But, you know, that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vader's son had uh, a simple crunch question, as he put it. Um, now, I noticed that the, the long-handled lightsaber was, was obviously reprinted in this, in this book, um, uh, obviously from the Legacy source book as well. And that seems to make a good deal of sense, considering it's a, you know, this is a book devoted to you know, Jedi slash Force users. Um, and he has a question. He says, do you get any strength bonus with a long-handled lightsaber if you use the 2 die 10 option? The text is somewhat unclear, and it could be interpreted that if you, that you give up the double strength bonus of two-handed use entirely, or just the doubling effect. Um, he thinks you give the whole thing up, but he's just checking. Uh, no, actually, you still, get your, you still get your strength bonus by itself, you just don't double it. Really? So, yeah. Oh. So, you know, you still get... It's designed for people with a low strength or right. with no strength and a high dex. Uh, so basically, 
you know, you might get your meager plus one, two, or three, or whatever it is, but uh, that's nothing compared to if you were wielding a two-handed weapon and then doubled that, right? So instead, what we do is we allow you to bump it up by a die, and so mathematically, the way that works out, uh, when you bump up the uh, damage die, you're basically adding plus one to the average die rolls for each die. So what you're essentially doing there is you're trading doubling for... Uh, plus two damage base, and then of course if you use things like rapid strike, it's plus one on top of that each time. Mm, okay. Uh, so, so if we can assume for just a second that you're probably going to use rapid strike uh, because you get the high base attack bonus and everything, what you're essentially doing is you're saying, okay, you can use just your strength bonus and not double it, but you get an average plus three to the uh, to the damage rolls, and then of course you have higher highs on each damage die. Uh, so that sort of bounces out because we kind of assume when we are designing it that if you're taking this lightsaber and using this option, you've probably got a strength bonus of less than plus three. So it ends up being beneficial for you to uh, double it and not uh, uh, not take the, or to to take the two d ten and not double your strength bonus. That makes sense. Okay. Well, that that actually is. I was not aware of that. I I, I assumed it meant what what Duncan did, what, which was no strength at all. So. Dang, that's a that's an even more attractive weapon now. Awesome. Damn skippy it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm a big fan of the strength, by the way. Yeah, we know that, Wookie boy. Okay, all right. Whatever you say. So, all right, so now uh, Darth GM. I'm sorry, not Darth GM. This is Knight Errant back again. With, uh, he has a couple of uh, equipment questions. First, the variant dual phase lightsaber sidebar on page 51 he's pointing to. The variant dual phase lightsaber that utilizes two different crystals that might modify the lightsaber. For example, a lightsaber with a crate dragon pearl and a bondar crystal. Does this not get the benefit of the normal dual phase lightsaber? In other words, reach at the cost of reflex defense for a swift action? Is this correct? Or is the variant dual phase weapon supposed to get the reach function and the ability to switch between different crystal effects. The former makes more sense to me than the latter, but I thought I'd just find out. Uh, well, it turns out that the text basically is where we're going to go to for the answer. Uh, it says, instead of gaining the extended <laughs> blade setting of a normal dual-phase lightsaber. So that basically means ignoring the normal effect of the dual-phase lightsaber, you can build one with two different crystals and you switch between the effects you do not get the normal dual phase lightsaber effect so basically you use all the same construction dcs and, and construction time and stuff like that as though you were building a dual phase lightsaber but in effect what you're gaining is two different crystals that you can switch between uh whenever you would normally you know whenever you would need to gotcha gotcha okay so that was a very nice way of saying read the book no, I mean, it's a perfectly legitimate question. Things get lost and things get looked over and glossed over all the time. Right. I mean, these books are very dense with text, so Lots. I can see how people would have questions that, oh, yeah. you know... I, I, I read these things every day for a living, right? It's my job to know these books inside and out, and even I still make mistakes. So it's totally, totally understandable. Well, cool. Well, Knight Errant's other question was regarding the Sith Amulet, uh, found on page 68. And he notes, he says, you know, this is a, a great item to tempt a light side character to the dark side. But other than the boost to move light object, it doesn't seem to be of any use to someone that has fully 
given themselves over to the dark side, i.e. has a dark side score equal to their wisdom modifier, wisdom already. Um, are the special abilities of the amulet, aside from the move light object ability, meant to be unavailable to a fully fallen character? No, I mean, just because you can't increase your dark side score by one or more doesn't mean that you can't take actions that normally would. Uh, otherwise, you couldn't use, for example, like if you were a dark side character, you couldn't use force lightning, right? Because it was, oh, well, you can't increase your dark side score anymore, so I guess you can't use force lightning, which wouldn't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> so all the applications that say, you know, increase your dark side score by one, basically it's the same as if you were using a force power that, that said you would increase your, uh, your dark side score plus, by plus one. So, yeah, it's you can still use it. And in fact, you know, in the hands of a... Uh, a dark side character, it's really the way you, you know look at it, it's even more powerful because basically you are already you've already fallen to the dark <laughs> side. You've already taken the penalty as much as you can possibly take it. So, you know, you're just like, okay, I guess I'll use all these abilities of this talisman and that's why it's in the artifact section and not in the uh, equipment section. This is not something that should be bought or anything like that. It's something that should be come across and typically, I'm going to give some game master some advice here. If you're a game master and you have a dark side character in your party, I would think about not giving this one out. Just saying. There you go. Okay, so uh, Darth Prefect has a uh, has a question now about a very very um, beloved weapon, the disc blade. Oh yes. It's listed as a ranged weapon, but. Would it also be possible to be used in melee combat if desired? Would it be treated as an improvised weapon, or would you simply use it uh, its regular stats when doing so? It certainly looks like you'd be able to use it as a melee weapon, assuming you were trained in its use. Uh, it, it's really designed to be used as a ranged weapon. I mean, this is sort of like asking, you know, okay, well, I can hit a guy over the head with my blaster pistol, what is the damage, right? You At that point, you're either going to do one of two things. You should either consider an improvised weapon, which I think is legit, or you can compare it to something else. So, for example, if you're the game master and your player asks you, you know, can I use this disc blade as a melee weapon, that's probably comparable to a knife. Uh, if you're using some of the rules out of Knights of the Republic, it could be a sword, right? But um, it's not really meant to be used that way, so you're going to be kind of winging it Anyway, so I would say rules is written that's technically improvised, but you're well within your rights, you know, to say that it's a, a knife or a sword. Well, there's nothing stopping the per character from using it as a ranged weapon against an adjacent character, is there? I mean, no, I, mean, I wouldn't think so, so. The same way you can still throw a knife or a, you know, any other thrown weapon at, at somebody adjacent to you. So it means there any need to use this as a melee weapon? Not really. Yeah, but you know, it, it, there is sort of this weird mental image that okay, I'm standing less than five feet from you, and I throw this thing at you, right? It's it's <laughs> like something out of a, a Will Ferrell comedy where he's like standing five feet from you and throws a frisbee and hits you in the face with it, right? That's that's what this is going to kind of look like. So I can understand why you'd want to use this as a melee weapon. Okay, uh, fair enough. Nice. Fair enough. Okay, we're going to break up a little segment of the book here before we get to the force, and we're going to take a stop off for one of the most beloved segments that we do off and on on the show and here it is for your listening edification and now dark 
with Twi'lek goodness. I wonder what a prophylactic for a Jawa looks like. This has been Dark Thoughts with Twi'lek goodness. Wow. Yeah. Why? Short, sweet, and to the point. And, and interestingly enough, born from our Saturday session with Cat. Nice. Yeah, of course. Of, why, why would I think any differently of those two getting together with that being the outcome? <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> I have no earthly idea. So, All right, so we can get to the force now, eh? Aye. Aye. <laughs> Aye. Aye, ho-ho. Aye, Peter. Aye, aye. All right, well... Okay, Rodney, for, for lack of a better term, I mean, this, this is a book about the Force, okay? So it, it makes sense that, that most of the new material is about the Force, and most of our questions, of course, do come from that area. So first and foremost, off the top, several folks have asked for a clarification about one of the more popular new lightsaber form powers. And Vader's son, Duncan, seems to paraphrase the masses when he says, What type of action does Hawk Bat Swoop take? My book says time, action. I would lean towards a standard action, but I thought I would check. P.S. Please tell Rodney how impressed I am with the book. They have so many little things that have been commented on in the EU throughout this book. It is awesome. Uh, yeah, so that's just a, uh, well, I wouldn't call it a printing mistake, but it looks like something that got messed up in layouts where the word standard just got deleted for some reason <laughs> and that happens right and oh, yeah. uh you know that's one of those things that we always look for but things slip through the cracks uh yeah it's definitely a standard action i mean you're making an attack roll and uh like the other lightsaber form powers in here uh it's basically a way for you to make a lightsaber attack with some little extra effect tacked on makes good sense perfect sense to me anyway okay so as we let off the top of the show with this fine gentleman we have we more return questions. to him. We return to the Donovan Morning Fire. He has several questions. I'll take the third part first, and then we'll take the fourth part third. <laughs> force Storm from page 26. Given there is a force power of the same name, but different effects in the Force Unleashed guide, can it be safely said that the name being used again in the Jadam was an oversight, or was there meant to be some crossover? Yeah, uh, there's actually two things at work here. The first is that I messed up in that, so uh, <laughs> I designed all of chapter one and all of chapter three, so anything okay. you find in those two qu chapters that there's a problem, those, those, those I have to take you know, the blame for. Um, so one, I goofed up and just double named it, and what, what happens a lot is that um, until I come up with, like, I'll come up with a really good idea for a power, but I don't have a really good name for it, so I'll put in a placeholder name. And what probably happened here was I was like, okay, you're creating a storm of the force. I'll come up with a name later for storm. All right, just and you know, remember, come back and do that later. And what did I forget to do? I forgot to came, come back and, and change it later. So, um, just a just a little mistake on my part there. And we also had uh, new editors uh, on this book, I believe. Uh, and so it's one of those deals where. Uh, yeah, uh, it was uh, Chris Perkins editing it, and he uh, had taken kind of a break from editing our books for a while, and so he probably just overlooked it because he didn't edit um, the book that Force Storm uh, had appeared in previously. So we'll probably end up 
uh, renaming it via errata to like Force Maelstrom or Force Typhoon or Force Synonym for Storm. Uh, sometime I like I like Force Synonym for Storm. That is <laughs> very very nice. I can see the errata now. Please add the words Synonym for in between Force and Storm. Right there you go. I like Force <laughs> Vortex. See there you go. That's just perfect. Okay. All right, well, Donovan's other questions. He had a question about inertia uh, on page 27. He says, now, I think I know the answer to this one, I can say. But anyway, he says, was there any particular reason why the effect wasn't just titled Improved Surge? (laughs) Well, um, for one, I thought it would be nice if there were a couple more movement powers in the game. And by making this its own power, I could sort of build in your speed bonuses, and so it, so it becomes a choice, right? Like, if this was just a force technique that was improved surge or whatever like that, then you would use surge, and you would gain the benefit of speed, and then you would run really fast and run up the walls and stuff like that, and we would probably end up, you know, it, it would probably end up getting overlooked or lost. I thought it would be nice if there was sort of a choice when you're making your movement choice, like, okay, I can either use surge, which will give me a little bit extra speed, and I can run around them, or I could use this power and run up the wall around them, right? So it creates this interesting choice that the Jedi has to make between, you know, two forms of movement, right? We don't have a lot of movement powers in the game right now, so I thought it would be a nice way to um, offer more variety. And, and, you know, the whole goal of these powers and, and having this in there is so that when you're building your character, you're like, okay, you know, this would be good for this situation, this would be good for this situation, and when that situation comes up, you've, you've got a choice to make. Well, it makes it makes good sense. And to be quite frank, when I first saw this, I, I my thought was, "Wow, you can run up a wall! That's freaking cool!" Because vertical travel through the use of surge is really only possible with a jump check. And you know, it, you know, yeah, you can get a great bonus to your jump check, but even then, that that's can still be limiting and not cinematically cool. And uh, you can still, with a good roll on inertia, get farther up a wall just vertically. And I don't know that that seems to make pretty good sense to me. Um, I have a question for you in relation to this. Would there be anything from stopping a person from using surge and inertia together? Uh, no. You could certainly use them together if you wanted to. Uh, you're burning two powers, and it's sort of the reason why I built the uh, the speed bonuses into inertia is so that you didn't feel like you had to use them together mm. uh, and, and could make, you know, could could go on these sort of circuitous routes up walls with so you're not provoking opportunity attacks or attacks opportunity and stuff like that. And, you know, not have to blow both of your powers because it might, you know, it might be a situation where you're like, okay, I can use inertia now. And then three rounds later, I want to use surge to do something else different. And I didn't want to sort of double penalize you for that. Makes sense. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. So uh, what? Suppress force talent, I think he's asking about. Yes. uh, Page 15 is suppress force talent. Should it have the mind affecting descriptor? Mind Trick itself has the mind-affecting descriptor, and this talent works by letting you use Mind Trick in a new and very interesting way. Uh, This is really just another application of Mind Trick. It's sort of like the uh, far-seeing powers that we did in the Knights of the Old Republic campaign guide Mm. that, you know, counted as using that power and what have you. Basically, it's sort of the same thing. So, yeah, it's, it's reasonable to assume that this is a mind-affecting thing, because basically this is adding a new use to the mind trick uh, force power. And, you know, it sort of alters the rules a little bit. Uh, you know, you're basically making an opposed use the force check, 
uh, instead of you know uh, use the force against will defense. Mm. But yeah, they're they're effectively is effectively the same power and has the has the mind affecting descriptor. Cool. Okay. Nice. Well, that's that's good to know. Well, Donovan's last question in regards to force powers was regarding channel vitality on page eighteen. Um, he writes, I've, I've seen a bit of concern over how powerful this appears to be. Uh, since from the text, a character with, uh, or, no, excuse me, not force powers, but the talent, channel vitality. Um, from the text, a character with equal equilibrium could spend a swift action every round to get a free force point, with every other force point being spent to put themselves back on top of the condition track. Um, this temporary force point does vanish at the end of your next turn, and you can only spend one force point per turn, but there's still some potential for abuse here. Well, it, it actually vanishes at the end of your turn. It says the temporary force point lasts until the end of your turn. So, on your uh, turn, you use the temporary for you use the swift action, you get the temporary force point. And it has to be used that turn, or it vanishes. Yeah, it, yeah, you have to use it on something that turn. Next turn comes up if you want to use equilibrium to move up the condition track. You've gotta use one of your own force points, right? Right. And I guess you could probably use your temporary force point to, you know, move up the to use equilibrium. But why? Yeah, because it's you'd basically be moving down and then moving right back up, and moving down and moving right back up. And maybe I'm not understanding the question, but it seems to me like, you know, it's basically like, okay, right now I I need a force point really bad right now. So I get my temporary force point, and then next round I'm gonna spend like three swift actions to you know move up back up the condition track, or I'm in trouble. So, yeah, I, I I can see where people would think is powerful because, you know, getting force points is it's no uh, you know no small thing, but I think if you look at it, you know what what can end up happening, right? You know, okay, I move one step down in the condition track and then I get shot and move another step down in the condition track, or you know I get stunned and move two more steps down, right? All of a sudden I'm at minus five to everything and I'm in a lot of trouble. So, you know. You can use equilibrium to, you know, to to negate this, but you're still spending your own force points, right? And at a certain point, all that vitality channeling is going to catch up. It, it's it's a good talent. Don't get me wrong. It's it's a very good talent, but it's also a talent for a prestige class that has been much maligned. Would be a kind way of putting it, right? Um, and so one of the things I really want to do with this book is say, you know, okay. People don't like the uh, uh, people don't like the you know the force adept very much or force adept is that right? Yeah, it's in the force adept. Yeah. See, I get myself confused. People don't like the force adept that much. I can put some pretty saucy talents in there, and all of a sudden that looks like a much better uh, a much better prestige class. See, I, I'm I'm part of the minority. I like the force adept very much. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't but, think it's a bad. I I love that. But but that but yeah. that's me. Yeah. Me cool. Too. Okay, Darth Obi-Wan is curious, and his son is in the chat room, I might add. It's a small thing, but I was hoping he could elaborate on why drain energy is no longer a dark side force power. It was in OCR RCR, and I have yet to see anybody but a dark Jedi or Sith use it in the EU. I'm also trying to figure out from the description why Mind Shard is not a dark side power. Uh, this, this, this harkens back to our whole Malaysia Marichro discussion from back when, but yeah, kind of. So the question is, why isn't drain energy a dark side power? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it it could have been right, but when I think about 
when I think about the Force and I think about the way it's depicted in the movies and stuff like that, and I think about what this power actually does, I could really see a lot of applications for this stopping fights. Right? It doesn't actually hurt someone. It doesn't actually, you know, damage anyone. It 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 makes it harder for them to fight back. Right? In a lot of ways, it's very much the you know the stop the fight before it starts or you know basically i'm putting i'm putting the peace whammy on you right like when i drain <laughs> the power pack of your blaster and you're not going to shoot my friends and that's that's pretty darn good and a lot of people have pointed out that it is very very good against lightsabers and there's a part of me that would be tempted to um maybe think about updating this and and saying that it's harder to use against lightsabers because you know it's unlikely you're carrying around a bunch of power packs but Regardless, this is very much a, a power that can be used to diffuse a situation, right? Or to give yourself a chance to escape, not necessarily a power that harms people. So I didn't feel like it was necessarily it needed to be a dark side power. Um, if you wanted to make it one in your own game, of course, you're always welcome to do that. But I also think that it's, you know, it's worthwhile to... Think about allowing this for your light side characters, especially if they use it in non-annoying ways. And instead of, you know, using it on the dark Jedi and saying, "Ha ha, now you got to replace the power pack in your lightsaber." If instead it was used, you know, against the stormtroopers, and it was like, you know, oh, I used the force, and now you you cannot harm me, and go home, and you know, think about your lives or whatever. Right? <laughs> that's that's cool and very Jedi-like. Right? That's. That's a neat way to use the force power, drain energy, and in a very light side way, I think. Very cool. Okay, excellent. Well, Darth Prefect had a juicy nugget of a question, something very creamy. Um, he said, <laughs> I'd, like, I'd <laughs> like to... <laughs> um, as opposed to crunchy. Um, he says, I'd like to request a discussion on the optional rule daily force points. Uh, found on page 16, which I thought was I thought was a very cool optional rule. Um, it seems like an interesting mechanic for force points to me, but I'm a bit concerned that for first-level characters to just have one force point per day, it might make it too hard on them at times, having to decide between spending their only force point that day to modify a roll or boost a force power or regain one, or you get the point, or to save it in case they end up being dropped to zero hit points later that day. I mean, healing being rather rare in Saga, I think it's a valid concern. I'd be very much interested in hearing what you guys take on, is on this optional rule. Uh, so the genesis of this rule came out of a lot of discussions that were happening on the Wizards of the Coast message boards. Around the time that the errata came out, the last batch of errata came out for the Saga Edition core rulebook. Basically, the errata that went into the revised second printing of the rulebook um, came out came about as a result of people, you know, saying, "Okay, well, you can't take uh, was it force point recovery, the the force secret anymore?" Uh, yeah, yeah, and, the, the technique, yeah, where you can't right, take right, once, exactly. Yeah. And you know, people are like, "Oh, you can't take that multiple times anymore. That's really going to nerf our characters because we have a lot of talents that spend force points and yada yada." And so this was a way that I thought might be appealing to some of the people that didn't like the fact that you could only take it once and basically by making them uh, daily as you go up in levels you know you get more and more and you can use more and more of your talents uh, I can see why at, at low levels it might put a lot of strain on on players who are like who are used to you know okay well I can die and whatever I'll spend a force point right mm -hmm. uh, it does make the the 
uh, talents and abilities that give you force points and temporary force mm-hmm. points vastly better. Yeah. Uh, right. It, it makes them much, much better than uh, they are under the normal rules, I think. And, you know, to be honest, if you're playing in a game that's using this optional rule, you're going to want to look at those those uh, those talents a little bit more, right? <laughs> you're going to want to look at those things and say, hey, this is this is all of a sudden a much better option. So it will change the way that your, your players build their characters, but I think it also is going to end up being a more satisfying uh, experience for people that want to use their talents on a regular basis and not feel like they're, you know, burning through a limited resource. On the same, you know, line of thinking, it it's not beyond uh, believability that I would use this in all my games going forward. And it does certainly, um, I'm going to say solve the question of, you know, what happens when Yoda hit 20th level? Did he stop spending force points? Well, no, he gets them on a daily basis. Mm. That makes good sense. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Cool. Cool. I, th- I think it's a very cool rule. I'd be very interested to play. I'm, in fact, my own play group after this came out expressed some some interest in, in doing something this way. I know Brev and I have tossed around a potential house rule um, for something similar for some time now. And then we see this, and it's like, bah, well, there you go. So, very cool. Yep. Yes. All right, so we kind of broke out a couple of questions about the Force Training Regiment. Uh, even though it's in part of the Force chapter, it kind of deserves its own little discussion because it's a yes. relatively new mechanic that's introduced in this book, you know, that of the Training Regiment. So with that, Cyril, 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 how do you think he says his name? Or her? I think it's Cyril. I think it's Cyril, too. Has a very inspirational question about these Force Regiments. So... <clears throat> Let me do my best Cyril voice. Basically, my question boils down to what were the major inspirations for doing the Force Regiments? Are they something you've wanted to do for a long time and just never gotten the chance? I really like their flavor and the fact that it makes the Jedi a very mutable character, changing day to day if they want to, allowing them to further strengthen their strengths or shore up some of the areas they may be lacking. So many cool options being the downfall of a lot of classes nowadays. Now that's not a bad that that not that that's a bad problem to have. As I <laughs> totally screw up the ending. Sorry, Cyril, I screwed that up. Well, no, I agree with Cyril. Uh, you know, yeah, so many cool options being the downfall of a lot of classes. That's not exactly a bad problem. Right. I don't know, I, dude. I love the Force Regiments, Rodney. I mean, seriously, man, talk to us about it. Sure. Um, so Force Regiments sort of came out of a number of different things. Uh, first, I had some ideas for a few powers. Then when I looked at them, I was like, you know, I would never spend a, fa- a power on this, or I would never spend a talent on this, right? Like uh, Awakened Force Sensitivity, for example. I was like, I-, I would never waste a resource on something like this. Is there any way I can get this into the game without you know, having a really suboptimal choice? And what I ended up deciding was that what I needed was another system that was sort of parallel to force powers that people could buy into and get these things without feeling like they had been sort of gypped out of a really good power, right? Um, At the same time, I was sort of looking at ways to reinforce the flavor of the Jedi because I I think, you know, when you play a scoundrel, it's easy to say, okay, my scoundrel goes off to the Sabacc tables at the local casino or, 
you know, if you're if you're playing the 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 techie guys, like okay, I'm going to spend the next eight hours, you know, working on the uh, the ship, right? It's not as easy when you're a Jedi to know exactly what to do in your downtime, right? And not to mention the fact that you know the scoundrel can be winning credits and the uh, tech can be you know repairing the ship or, or putting on add-ons. If you're the Jedi, you're like, I'm going to meditate for. Yeah, that's not quite as cool, right? So, I figured this was something that you could do, you know, creating like a like a ritual type system if you're familiar with 4th edition was something that you could do to give yourself some some like small benefits and also sort of reinforce the flavor of your character, right? Like this is the guy that goes and he's sort of the the aesthetic, right? He does these crazy, you know, training routines to improve his connection to the force and get some benefit out of it yeah so i really wanted people to you know to look at these things as nice little benefits with a low buy-in cost because honestly there's not that many in the book because i I don't see you taking the force you know regimen feat more than more than once or twice really um something you could buy into relatively cheaply add a little bit of flavor to your character and at the same time you know get some really good benefit out of it that's awesome. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. I I loved the, the mere concept of it. I could see a Jedi character taking, never taking force training and just taking, you know, you know, learning force regiment, uh, training regiment after training regiment, because um, it it still provides a good deal of mechanical benefit and it's it, like you say it's flavorful. I love that aspect of it. Yeah, and the other thing too is you know we got Jedi Academy coming out right now, and the next book that comes out is the Rebellion era book, right? And and you'll see in the Rebellion era book a little bit. Um, the Rebellionaire has a much more low-power feel to it, right? I mean, yeah. everything's sort of scaled back, and I could certainly see if you're playing the Jedi in the Rebellionaire, right? And assuming you're playing one of the Rebellionaire acceptable archetypes, like the you know the failed Jedi or something like that, that I could I could see you taking Force regimens because you you know you want to build your character towards that feel, and you don't want to be doing things like, you know, Force Light, which don't really feel very classic trilogy. They're more the the purview of the expanding universe, and also, you know, the cla- the prequel trilogy, right? So, um, yeah, it, it's sort of building forward towards, you know, other kinds of campaigns. It's certainly, I mean, certainly a huge amount of the inspiration for those was the training scene on the Millennium Falcon in A New Hope where you know Luke is is learning how to use the lightsaber with the training remote that's that's really one of the things I was going for cool well to 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 switch gears completely to extreme crunchy Darth GM had a logistical question about cadence 3 um especially he says 16,000 ball bearings used in cadence 3 how how is a Jedi expected to have these? Even assuming they're all BB size, that's practically a cubic foot of ball bearings. And they go through that every time they want to do that particular cadence. Is the party starship going to need a special section of the cargo bay to transport their Jedi's month-long ball bearing collection? What's the going rate on a thousand ball bearings? Anyway, should the party diverge from their current adventure because they hear that Floopy Smith's ball bearing emporium is holding a 50% off sale? I'm not trying to overthink this here, and I can hand wave a lot, of course. It's just that the amused portion of my brain is taking something and running with it. Uh, well, this is a case where, you know, <laughs> canon had already been laid down, right? The, the yeah. Vorin's yeah. cadences are all from the... Uh, Galaxy Guide 9, Fragments of the Rim, which was always one of my favorite parts about it. But when I went back and I was rereading it, I was like, well, you know, these are neat, but there's also a lot of stuff in here that I don't need to model, right? Like, 
in the end, what people really want to know is what's happening, what's going on, what benefit does it give me. I don't need to go into detail about you know the setup process and things like that. So what you see is actually a more condensed version of what has already been established. That said, it's sort of assumed when you take these cadences that these that the material components are a trivial cost, right? And it's, you know, if you want to get wound up in the logistics of it, sure, you could end up basically saying to your Jedi, well, if you don't find anywhere to store these, or if you don't buy a whole bunch of ball bearings, you can't use this. Uh, but if, if that's the case, then I think you're kind of being a jerk. And uh, I think you should just <laughs> let people, you know, do these things and and accept the fact that a lot of stuff happens off screen that doesn't get explained in Star Wars. And that's just the way it is, right? Um, the infamous Lucas screen wipe. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty safe to assume that the Jedi isn't carrying around a backpack full of ball bearings. And if you want to say, you know what, you've been stranded in the jungles of Felucia for three days, you don't have the material components for this, that's fine, right? That's that's That makes sense. That's logical, right? But if they're on board their starship traveling in hyperspace for three days, and you say, well, you didn't say that you bought ball bearings for your, uh, for your training regimen, that's kind of that's kind of pushing the limits of, um, you know, am I just trying to screw over my players? If you ask me, so yeah, there there's some logistical leaps, but we basically assume that a you're taking care to make sure that you have all the material components for these, and b that you have a place to store them. Right? That there's a a <laughs> whole room in the Jedi Temple that's got a whole bunch of ball bearings in it, or what have you, like that. Right? So it's uh yeah, I mean. There's there's some wink wink nudge nudge going on here, but I, I think it's within the acceptable realm. Well, there we go. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I I, I never mind. I just agree uh, with you basically 100 percent on the whole ball bearing thing. It 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 is an it is an attitude to take in gaming that I know we have expressed many times on this show, and I don't know. So I, it, I think some people get a little too over literal with certain. Well, things. Well, it, it's right. pretty obvious that the you know, the person asking the question it, yeah, was asking uh, joking. Yeah. Right, so I'm not. I, I I have no illusion that someone out there is going, "Dear God, how can we have all these ball bearings in the game?" <laughs> right, I'm, I'm not worried about that. But by the but, same token, you know, there's a Munchkin gamer out there going, "This is impossible. You can't have sixteen thousand ball bearings for this cadence." All right. Well, maybe I, I've actually been pleasantly surprised by the Saga players who have really, you know, sort of embraced the cinematic aspect of the game, right, and who have been able to say, you know, okay. I, I understand what's going on here, right? There's things happening off screen that we don't need to, you know, do the accounting spreadsheet for because it makes for good scenes, right? And I've been very happy with the response that we've gotten from our players. And occasionally there's these sort of, like I say, logistical leaps that come up that you have to, you know, that you have to make. And I don't mind offering suggestions on those. It's... I, it's not been my experience that a whole lot of Saga players have let those trip them up. So I think we're still within the acceptable go. regions of of what's you know what's believable and what is confusing. So let's boil it down. And the the Echo Base here has a wonderful suggestion and say Darth GM's logistical question boils down to Can Gungans blink? <laughs> But the core rulebook doesn't say they can blink. I know. Okay. So, and on that so note, good. we will diverge yet again for some <laughs> fun stuff that we enjoy here 
on the Order 66 podcast. Thanks to Fiddleback for this next bit. And now, Stormtrooper Poetry. I go to great lengths to tell you what it's like in the Empire from assaults to a simple little hike. We've talked ad-ats and gambling and Death Stars galore, but sometimes you do things that need a little more than words can provide, no matter how hard you try, despite the verbal tide. I've captured the memory on Hollowvid for you, and now if you look over here in the left corner, you'll see the uh, skinned Ewok hanging on the wall, and uh, there's a series of lightsabers hanging just left of the uh, bounty hunter that came in just as we were getting ready to, uh, you know, have some fun with the Twi'lek. And uh, over here in this corner, there's a there's a there's a little thing there with uh, you know see the power droid there. Yeah, uh, well, he was here because uh, we promised some candy to a couple of Jawas. And then the lasers over here, the turbo lasers, they're pointing over at the... Never mind. Stormtrooper poetry. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the best rambles I've had out of him as of yet. That's impressive. That was. By the way, I just want to say I love that segment. It's a great segment. Fiddleback (laughs) is... He is. It's the bomb diggity. It's one of the. It's one of my favorite segments on the show. Dark thoughts being another favorite of my segments, but. Oh yes. Yes, we uh, we enjoy them. Immensely, at my dad. But okay, so affiliated programs, right? This is uh, non Jedi Force traditions. A bunch there of. There was them. a lot of these in the book, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, people have been asking for them, and uh, it's one of those deals where I was like, okay, people want these. I will put them out there. And it's really funny. The very first freelance project I ever worked on was the Hero's Guide for uh, the original revised D20 system. And um, when we were working on the outline for that, I was, you know, I, I, I was still, you know, a big Star Wars fan and on all the message boards that people were like, why doesn't Wizards give us more Force Traditions? And so we were outlining it and I said, hey, maybe we could give them more Force Traditions. And they were like, okay. And thus, you know, the Force Traditions in that book were born. And when this one came around, I was like, eh, people still want these things. I guess I should give them more. So it was pretty easy for me to carve out a whole chapter for them. There you go. So speaking of chapters, turn, younglings, in your books to page 82. And we have a question from Knight Errant Jr. Yet again, this guy was, this guy is a machine when it comes to spitting out questions. Absolute machines. He had like eighty-seven posters. Yeah, him. yeah, it was amazing. I mean, he almost got banned from the forums. From you know, they thought he was spamming, but they were all good questions. So uh, this is a little bit of a less serious question. He says so himself, but uh, it occurs to him: Why is the oh, I have no idea? Sayugi Dervish on page 82, holding a gun with the kind of loving caress that I'd assume only an HK series droid would muster for a firearm. (laughs) When they are pointed out as being masters of unarmed combat. It's true, they are masters (laughs) of unarmed combat. Um, These guys are sort of assassins and everything. And I will say this, um, that particular image is actually a pickup from another book. So I don't know what was going on when the art order was made for that original book, but it's the it's the only picture of a Sayugi Dervish that actually exists right now. And so we picked it up, and um, really I just wanted to show off the mask because it's got such a cool, like, hey, here's a gaping maw of teeth that's yeah. going to eat you look to it, right? It's creepy, dude. It's really creepy. 
if you're looking for a good justification, and I know that's not really a serious question, but I mean, even even your martial arts masters characters will occasionally carry around a pistol, right? Because there's going to be times where you can't charge down the hill and ninja kick the guy in the face, but you can shoot him, you know, from safety. So yeah, and that's the other thing, right? Saga it makes it pretty easy to be versatile, even while you're still specializing, right? So even if you haven't put a whole lot of you know effort into making yourself a great marksman, you can still use a blaster rifle. Awesome. That 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 makes extremely good sense. Um, now moving on to uh, threats, or, or I guess what we label the the dangers of study in in this particular chapter. Um, which is, I guess, the last chapter of the book. Um, now, okay, th- this is really, I guess you could say more, there's a lot of dark side stuff in here as well. And, I mean, and, now, we said before, that this wasn't really so much of a Jedi source book as it was a Force source book. So, I mean, you just talk about all the traditions you put in. And so, yeah, the dark side got some love here, okay? And we got some questions in that vein. And Ikmoigan, Ikmoigigan, how do you, Dave, how would, how would you pronounce that? Ikmoigigan? Oh man, um, Ikmoigigan. Yeah, I say Ikmoigigan. You're gonna go with the Ikmoigigan. Okay. Ik- oh Ik- hell, Ik- I'm just gonna call him Adolf. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Ik- Ikmoigigan. Anyway, he has a question uh, regarding dark side spirits um, and transfer essence. Um, he wants to know when a when a dark side spirit possesses a target. Um, whose hit points are used? And by the way, these are the dark side spirits we're looking at on page 119 for those following along in their books, 118 and 119. So he wants to know, who's, uh, when a dark side spirit possesses a target, whose hit points are used? Also, when the dark side spirit created through that transfer essence talent manages to possess somebody through the force, what happens? Are both the spirit and the target considered to be unconscious initially, or can the dark side spirit use his host immediately to continue fighting? And if it can keep going, at what penalty? Anyway, thanks for the great book and the great podcast. So, dark side spirit. Yeah, so this is a, uh, a question that um, I wish we'd been a little bit more clear about in the book. Basically what happens is when a dark side spirit possesses someone, the dark side spirit's hit points overwrite those of the host's and effectively, the host and the dark side spirit become the same thing, right? The the dark side spirit's class levels and everything overwrite those of the the hosts, uh, but you use the host strength detection con that's their their physical stats. Uh, so when it possesses, you use the the spirit's uh, hit points. Um, yeah. Well, so <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I know in prior systems, it's kind of it's going. I know it's not spilled out, but it's kind of implied. Whenever you have this scenario, you take the quote unquote mental stats, and those transfer over, while the right. physical ones kind of stay where they are. But no, that, yeah, and the th- the thing is, what's really happening here is that you're altering the dark side spirit's stat block when it possesses something, not the other way around, right? So, effectively. We, you know, we say that the spirit possesses that person. What's really happening is the spirit absorbs that person and takes on their physical attributes. But otherwise, that person is more or less gone, and they're they're now you have the dark side spirit in someone's body in their in their place. Okay, well that clarifies things a great deal. Excellent, beautiful. Okay, so the last question, Knight Errant Jr. Again back with his 97th question. 
about dark side sites and dark siders. Page 157. Younglings, turn to it now. Don't wait for the translation. Just go. If a character... What, what am I doing? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Right? Yes. Where am I? Yep, I'm miss I'm I'm losing myself right page here. Character, page, yeah, page 157. If a character fully given over to the dark side, i.e. dark side score equals wisdom, is in a dark side uh, site, does he only gain the bonus to use the force checks for that site and not the free activation of uh, force point activated dark side abilities since that free since that free activation costs a DSP? I think Rodney already answered this one, like at the top of the cast, with the answer to that similar question. But yeah, you know, yeah, kind of. it, yeah it's pretty much the same answer, right? Okay. Just so, because uh, you yeah. can't increase your dark side score doesn't mean that you can't use that ability. Otherwise, right. you wouldn't be able to use force lightning. All right, that's why I got all stuttered up because I thought we would covered this already. So okay, yeah. So we kind of had touched on this already. Kind of, sort of, yeah. All right, all right. Well, very good. All right, so um, one last tidbit of stuff to do that we normally do, and this is, uh, of course, the Alex and Trevor show. This would be Fragments from the Rim. And we'll be back with you guys on the other side of this. Thank you again, Alex and Trevor, for sending these in weekly. We much anticipate them, and we absolutely enjoy them. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex. And Trevor. This is segment 16 of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen to look at a feat entitled Friends in Low Places from page 21 of Scum and Villainy. The benefit that it gives you is that whenever you want to get a license for restricted or military items, you can use a gather information check instead of a knowledge bureaucracy check, which is kind of nice because then you don't have to spend any of your trained skills on knowledge bureaucracy. The other part of it is that it reduces the black market cost multiplier of those kinds of items by one. And that's kind of nice, too. Of course, it would make it even better if you had a noble with the wealth talent and the connections talent, which also reduces the black market multiplier. You could have a character with an awful lot of interesting items that didn't cost a whole lot. Over to you, Trevor. And today, I'm going to talk about the noble talent called Misplaced Loyalty on page 14 of Scum and Villainy. Essentially, the idea of this is that you use a swift action and you make a persuasion check against all of the enemies in your line of sight. And if successful, none of them can attack you if you have an ally within six squares of you. So essentially what this is is uh, you basically get them to shoot your friend. This is a great way to avoid being shot. Um, there is an errata for this which basically says that you can't use it if somebody else who's in your area of effect has already used it, which is really good because then you could have two nobles standing side by side and never being shot by anybody. Um, it's a really neat concept. It's uh, it's a great defensive thing, and for nobles that aren't necessarily the best at being armored or the most combative, it's a good way to uh, avoid all those you know unnecessary hits and such. And it's a really neat concept of how you can... No, shoot that guy! No, that guy! Um, it's really cool. Anyways, if you want to talk to us or have any questions or comments, please feel free to email Alex and I at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time... Keep having fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. And again. Very nice. Thank you, guys. Very nice. 
Okay, we've got well, a few kind of... Um... Before, before we get to the back burner, though, um, I did have, uh, Rodney, we had just in, in, in this afternoon, we had one additional question, a rather, rather uh, fluffy one, show up on the forums regarding uh, Jedi Academy, if you're up for it. Sure, whatever. Uh, um, Shadowstar, one of our moderators, posted a question. He said, I'm curious about the design trend that I see showing up in Jedi Academy. This is the first manual where the optional rules really seem to be prominent and kind of move beyond that KISS principle into more the realm of, of complex dynamic actions in combat with a lot of reactions, reactions, counteractions, extra rolling added to the base system, you know, granted all via limited powers. Is this a design mechanic that's going to continue to expand in future releases or was it more you know, closer to what we're going to just adjust for this, this particular book? Uh, probably more for just this book because I wanted this book to be nice and crunchy. And by the time you hit, well, what's for me the third year of the design cycle, mm. um, really almost the fourth, to be honest with you, uh, you start coming up with you know fewer and fewer ideas to fill in the easy gaps. So you kind of have to turn to more complicated things. Um, that having been said, since this book was so crunchy, you probably saw more of it in here than you will in future books. Um, but, you know, every book so far has added new subsystems of, of some variety, of other, where, whether it be you know gear templates from Knights of the Old Republic or starship maneuvers from Starships of the Galaxy or organizations from The Force Unleashed. You know, there's always going to be new small subsystems popping up. And in, in this book, you see mostly um, that shows up in Force Regiments and the new lightsaber combat powers, uh, and then there's a new one in Rebellion Era, and a new one in Galaxy at War, and a new one in uh, Scavenger's Guide. But the idea here is that rather than you know letting the system basically stand as it is and just cranking out books that are nothing but stat blocks or you know m- you know new weapons and stuff like that, you know which we could we could do that till the cows come home, right? That's that's you know that's something that could be done. What I'm trying to do is provide something interesting in every book so that when you buy it, you're essentially buying not only new talents and feats and equipment and, and stat blocks and stuff like that, but you're also buying a new mechanical system that you can choose to use in your game or not, right? I don't expect, in fact, I'm almost positive that no one is going to use, or few people are going to use absolutely everything, right? I expect that people right. buy these books and then pick and choose which subsystems to use. Uh, for whatever campaign they're using, right? I'm I'm trying to provide enough of those that people can feel like they can customize their Saga Edition to what they need, right? That, so they can basically customize the game and create a campaign that fits their vision, right? So um, starting really with Scavenger's Guide, uh, but also in a couple other places, you'll see systems that uh, sort of... There's sort of alternates for existing systems, right? And we've already we've already done this. Uh, in fact, in the very first book that was released uh, in Starship of the Galaxy, we had the tactical fire rules, right? Which were a new system that you use in place of rolling attack rolls for capital ships, right? Um, you'll see similar stuff in Galaxy at War uh, for ground vehicles, right? But you know, in in upcoming books, we're going to continue to present uh, rules, you know systems and new little mechanical bits that people can use to tweak their game along a certain style. I mean, we're releasing 
these books like Galaxy War and, and Scum and Villainy that add a different style to the game, right? Because people want to play Star Wars in different ways, and so this is one way we can do that is by adding these mechanical subsystems. So you'll see more of it, but there was probably, it's probably more obvious in this book just because it was such a crunch-heavy book. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay. There we go. And, uh, well, shoot, Dave, speaking of Crunch, uh, Captain Crunch himself, um, <laughs> our very own Elias Windrider, um, he Indeed. had a bevy of questions, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, first. On a, yeah. And, yeah, and you're going to notice that these have a common theme to them. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you get a suit of armor that doesn't normally come with a helmet... Can you just buy a helmet and then install a helmet package in it? Assuming... All right, stop right there. St- stop right there. Okay. Okay. So here's what happens. You buy a suit of armor, <laughs> and it doesn't, say it, doesn't come, it doesn't say it comes with a helmet. You can still install the helmet package in that armor. It's basically assumed that when you do so, you are creating or buying some variety of headpiece or helmet that goes with it. Okay. So yeah, his his his, he went on and said, assuming he had slots available, would it be possible to dual gear one of these visors from the Kotor campaign guide into the helmet? No, I didn't think so. And how would uh, how would you find this out anyway? Ah, for the helmet, I mean. Basically, I, we don't distinguish between a helmet and, or a helmeted suit of armor and a non-helmeted suit of armor. Uh, and basically, the helmet package, quote unquote, is a modification that you do to the armor, right? It is a thing that happens to the armor, and so that's why armors like stormtrooper armors that do come with helmets already have that built in. But you, you know, if you do this to a suit of armor that doesn't, we're just kind of assuming that you put a, put one together, right? There's no separate piece of equipment called the helmet. Right yeah. now, that having been said, you could dual gear a visor, for example, into a suit of armor, and if you still had, and so I'm trying to think how to word this, if you still had um, equipment slots left over that you could put a uh, a helmet package in, then yes, you could provide the two. But don't think of the helmet as a separate thing, right? A helmet is just a part of the armor. It, okay. it, in fact, helmet or no helmet, it's all an armor modification. So if you have an upgrade slot for the armor, not necessarily the helmet, then you that, could That's use. right. Okay. Yes, so, that's right. so, so um, yes, um, Elias, in your dual weaponry, put everything together to take it apart, to put it back together, zealous whatever... Well, we've got more of that coming. Just remember, upgrade slot, armor, totally. You don't just get one extra one for the helmet only, okay? All right. That, that is, a, that is a, a, good, a good answer to questions that's been asked repeatedly, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yep. Um, okay, well, this, uh, he moves on and says, okay, this, this question or this next series of questions is about the combat implant from KOTOR. Now, the combat implant basically says that you don't take a minus five penalty to attack rolls for being non-proficient with a weapon. The martial arts feat is essentially, and this is assumption on his part, he says essentially weapon proficiency for unarmed fighting. 
and you do an extra, now you move up to a d6 and you gain a plus one d reflex defense and you don't provoke an attack of opportunity. Now there's no way I'd expect the combat implant to give you the d6 or the plus one to reflex defense, but I'm kind of wondering if you had the combat implant but not martial arts, would you still provoke an attack of opportunity for making an unarmed attack? And, yeah. yeah. So, to, sorry to interrupt, but the mistake here is thinking of martial arts like weapon weapon proficiency. Uh, it's not, not. Yeah. It's not. It, yeah. it is not a weapon proficiency. Only weapon proficiencies are weapon proficiencies. So, anything related to martial arts, the combat implant doesn't have anything to do with that. If you want to create your own implant that had something to do with martial arts, you absolutely could do that. But weapon proficiency and martial arts mechanically do not interact in any way. Okay. Well, he, he finalizes by saying, speaking of weapon proficiencies, does the combat implant satisfy any weapon proficiency requirements? Nope. There you go. Easy peasy. Rice and cheesy. I try and make it easy on you. <laughs> go ahead, man. Go ahead. Go ahead with this. Uh, well, um... He, his last question in this vein, before moving on to dual gearing stuff, he says, The thin suit from uh, Clone Wars Campaign Guide comes with a face mask, provides one hour of breathable air, but no helmet. Would applying vacuum seals, uh, the vacuum seals armor upgrade to the thin suit, involve adding a helmet? I don't see how it would work otherwise. I'm asking because I'd also like to add the helmet package upgrade. <laughs> so you well, may have already answered this. Yeah, but... Like everything else, right? Helmet package is just an upgrade to armor. So, if you have the equipment slots available for both, then sure, you can do both. Vacuum sealing is a thing that is done to armor, right? It's not a, you're not, I mean, you're probably adding a helmet, but that doesn't actually affect the way the uh, equipment slots work. Gotcha. So, in essence, I think it's being overthought ever so slightly. Uh, yeah, you can't separate the helmet from the armor. Okay. Well, uh... Speaking of, of separation, now, last time we had you on, we went into a lot of dual-gearing questions, and you dropped some revelatory bombs that that shocked the munchkinized, you know, uh, weapon modification community. Um, and so Elias has a, a handful of questions regarding dual-gearing. Um, he said, Rodney specifically said that dual-gearing an item didn't add upgrade slots, um, and that the dual-geared item couldn't have another item dual-geared into it. It only added the functionality. There are still a few shades of gray I would like answered. <laughs> Talk about beating a dead horse. Well, these are the questions. He wants to know what happens if you add the functionality of a modified item dual-geared into something else. And, and no! Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm of the opinion you can't modify bits and pieces of something, but he says, for example, let's say you bought the parts for a blaster pistol, then bought the parts for a rapid recycler, and you applied the rapid recycler modification to the blaster pistol parts. What would happen if you tried to dual gear this rapid recycled blaster pistol parts into, say, a bowcaster? So if you're using the scum and villainy modification rules, then you have to use them across everything, right? So that rapid oh, yeah. recycler is an upgrade that takes up upgrade slots. And as I mentioned before, basically the way it works is you're buying the base item, right? You're not buying a modified item, right? Gotcha. So if it's not a base item, right? If it's not a completely fully functional basic item with no modifications or upgrades or tweaks or anything like that, you can't dual gear it in, right? Well, there that, you go. 
answers yeah. that question and takes care of his next two as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, the, the next one actually was, can I modify my blaster rifle with a blaster pistol, a lightsaber, and a bowcaster all in one? <laughs> so yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's the way it goes. But you know, I say that, and that's the official ruling, right? That you're basically buying the basic item and you're not buying a modified item or whatever like that. But if you wanted to allow that in your game, man, go ahead, right? It's it's cool. I'm the Watsy Fun Police aren't going to come kick down your door and take away your books, right? That's that's not how this works. <laughs> so, not the Watsy uh, Fun Police, but the D20 Radio Police. If you allowed such a monstrosity, I'd find you and I'd hunt you down. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise, so the moment you allow modified items as things that can be put into dual gears the mo- is the moment that you enter into the infinite loop of dual-geared items. So right. it, it cannot work under any circumstances. Well, this makes good sense um, and answers his next two questions as well. Um, however, he does end with um, one good question about the tech specialist feat and by extension, the superior tech feat. He says, okay, let's say you duel together. Um, well, well I'm, I'm going to skip the first part because you've already answered it. Okay. Um, if I want to increase, like, say, the damage on both items, let's say I duel together a blaster pistol into a rifle, um, and I want to increase the damage on both of them, can I tech spec them together at the same time, or do I need to do it separately? And if I do do it separately, can I tech spec different things to different items in that dual gear combination? That is a good question, uh, and I can see where the ambiguity would lie. But basically, once you've dual-geared something, you have created a new item that has the functionality of both. I would say that your tech specialist can apply to either item you want, but or to, you know, basically the embedded item or the base item, but not both. So... You could up the damage on the blaster pistol, but not on the rifle, right? Okay. And it's all still the same weapon, right? So you can only modify it one time, uh, unless, you know, other circumstances allowed otherwise. But, yeah, I think you would have to pick one function or the other. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, that is the end of our crunchy uh, uh, write-ins. We have a couple creamy ones, though, um, and a good one from IRL Potato. Dave, do you want to take this, or...? Uh... You want me to... to uh, no, go on. ahead. I've, I've got other factors behind me. Hold on. Okay. Um, well, IRL Potato um, from Dublin. I think that's freaking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> wants to know, he's curious about how you guys play test new mechanics. Is it actually just a bunch of guys sitting around playing with it, or do you use mathematics and whatnot to verify the balance with other supplements and so on and so forth? So, that's actually kind of an interesting question. Um... The way that Saga Edition was designed, and and uh, D and D Third Edition, and and um, the revise or the D twenty Star Wars and revised Star Wars, the way they were designed, they were not designed math first. Uh, they were designed sort of all at the same time, right? And that's why you have things like in Saga Edition, you have different attack bonuses, and then you have defenses that scale up at you know level, but skills that scale up at half level, and then you have talents that um, bridge the gaps and stuff like that. Uh, it's a less precise math than, uh, say, Dungeons and Dragons Fourth Edition uses. So we can't use the easy math that we use when we develop Fourth Edition, right? Like I can look at a Fourth Edition power and know exactly how powerful it is, and be able to tell you whether it's 
uh, balanced or unbalanced more or less by the math alone, right? If it has a weird effect, then sometimes we have to, you know, do more crazy extrapolating math for that. But for Star Wars, it's it's less precise, and we have to kind of figure out um, averages based on what we can expect a reasonable player to do. And it's just just not that precise, right? And it's the same way in 3rd Edition or in D20 Star Wars and stuff like that. So development-wise, when I'm developing a book, I am looking at comparable options. I'm looking at expected damage. And, and um, that expected damage is not something that we had, uh, or like any expected number is not something that we had during the design phase. It's actually what's come out of me watching people build characters on the forums. And basically, when... Uh, people post, you know, their crazy, wacky character, right? I look at that and say, okay, you know, I can reasonably expect someone to have, you know, X stats in whatever field, right? So over time, I've developed sort of expected numbers that I think work pretty well, but there's no way to verify those mathematically because Star Wars is is just not designed that way. Um, as for playtesting, uh, that's that's development, right? In development... I have to go by what I've learned. I have to go, you know, I, I, basically it is, it is human reasoning that does development. Playtesting is done mostly through the RPGA, although I have a few groups that playtest for me that are uh, people from the message boards that uh, responded to an open call. And basically what happens is we send the text that needs to be playtested. Uh, and it's mostly character mechanics, but also... Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, other non-character mechanics like ships and stuff like that. We send it to those guys, and then they have X number of weeks to playtest it, compile their feedback, and then send it back to me. And um, that is based on... The, the feedback I get from them is based on read-throughs and actual play experience uh, because there's there's a lot of value in actual play experience, even if you do have, you know, the perfect math, so to speak, although there's no such thing. Uh, even if you have really good math behind the game, you're going to, you know, want to play test things with real actual play experiences because things pop up that you can't see in the numbers, right? Things like, this takes a long time to adjudicate, or this isn't intuitive, or, you know, this doesn't feel cinematic, or, you know, what have you, right? Um those kind of things only appear through actual play play testing. So while I have uh, numbers that I can use to look at for, you know, okay, I can reasonably expect this person to have this attack bonus at this level, um, most of the development in play testing is actual play and not, you know, crunching numbers, right? That's not, um, it's just not possible with the way that Saga Edition was built. Well, that answers that. Well, the last of our, our write-ins was Alex Van D. Um, he had a design question for you. And he says, look, there's, there's a few of us over in the, the Star Wars Saga Edition forums um, kicking around the idea of starting to create some sort of successor to Dawn of Defiance here at D20 Radio, uh, seri a series of modules. What it, kind of advice would Rodney have for us if we were to start trying to make a module or series of modules for use by the gaming community? What lessons have you, you guys learned creating Dawn of Defiance? If you had to do it over again, I mean, what would you change, if anything? If the Gamer Nation were to start to create some sort of adventure series, what era and style would you suggest? I would say... 
<laughs> the best advice I can give you is don't make any promises. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, um, Dawn of Defiance has been a good experience, but also a learning experience in that it takes a lot more to get an adventure made than I thought. Right? I mean, maps have to be made and and mm-hmm. art and layout and editing, and it just takes time. At least for an official official adventure, right? Right. Um, that being said, my advice would be to focus on small arcs, um, like two to three adventures that you can sort of lead a storyline through, and then leave it at that, right? Trying to do level one to 20 mm. was challenging. Um, I think I can advise you to use... Um, existing stat blocks. Uh, there's enough out now that I, I feel like there's a good enough variety that you could, you know, with a little bit of tweaking here and there, use existing stat blocks without uh, having to worry about your adventures getting stale. Plus, if you th- use things like, you know, squads and, and packs and swarms, it kind of increases the variety that you have uh, in, your, um, uh, in your encounters. And I think that that will save you a lot of time because for me, one of the biggest time sinks is creating unique stat blocks and then editing them and making sure they're all correct and stuff like that. So, yeah, I would say use existing stat blocks. Focus on smaller story arcs. Um, don't be afraid of action uh, is another thing. I know that sounds weird, but there's sometimes a tendency to you know, say, okay, well, I want this to be the mystery adventure, right? And you can do a mystery adventure... But there needs to be some action in there too, right? This is Star Wars. Even the mystery has action in it, right? It's it's okay to do that occasionally. Um, yeah, and then I would say keep in mind that players will go off the rails a lot, so plan for multiple different eventualities. Uh, you don't necessarily have to plan for every eventuality, but give the, the GM a couple of different directions to go in. And... Um, yeah, I, I think starting small is probably the best recommendation I can give you. Awesome. Awesome advice. Thank you. Very cool. Yes. Well, Dave? Yeah, I guess um, um, as much as I hate to admit it, we're at the end of another show. I know it's sad. It's sad. It's sad to think about. But it's, it, it, it is sad. Rodney, I want to thank you once again for taking your time to come on with us. I hope you're able to find time to stick around post show, maybe answer a couple listener questions, viewer questions. Sure. Um, but I really, really appreciate you coming on, taking the time to explore Jedi Academy with us and uh, get these questions answered. It is awesome to talk to you as always. Yeah, you know, it's my pleasure to be here, man. Awesome. So, with that, Gamer Nation, we will um, wrap up this portion of our show and say again, thank you to Mr. Rodney Thompson. Thank you to our sponsors, GoDaddy.com, Buy.com. And remind you that if you guys want to call in bumpers like you heard off the top of the show and you're getting ready to hear a couple of others off the back of the show, please call us at area code 206-600-5872 or LUSA. Call the Lose Line and make your voice heard. Otherwise, join the Gamer Nation at d20radio.com slash forum or send us email at gmdave at d20radio.com or gmchris at d 
d20radio.com. Did I forget anything? I don't think so. Twitter, of course. Ah! Twitter, GM Dave. Twitter.com slash GM Dave. <laughs> I don't think Chris has Twitter yet, but you can catch me on Twitter, Facebook, all kinds of stuff. We've got even a MySpace page now. Forget that, man. MySpace is the kid's table. So, <laughs> all right. So with that... Thank you. Thank you, Gamer Nation. Peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them dice rolling. This is Animus from the forums, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Hey, this is GM Brev, and because I'm tired of hearing Dave whine about no bumpers on episode 67, I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Well, that doesn't make any sense, because how would I know that he whined about it? Hmm. Curiouser and curiouser. All right, Dave. Be happy. Shut up and do your podcast. Love you, brother. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Show. You guys oh, aren't show. nearly as excited, are you? Oh, Woo! I mean, yeah, see, yeah, he said it for me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so we're having some technical mishaps. I, I, you know, I tried to spring this on our listeners and tried to spring this on ourselves, doing this whole um, thing, this live call-in deal, and I, I can't quite make it work. So ah. we're just going to have to dispense with that idea uh-huh. until we can actually make it work like later okay okay well then we, we can use our chat room for the time oh sure we can use our chat as close as we can get and i got one off the bat that just got pm to me rodney okay um dane deneith has a question about the force tradition talent trees um he says if, if a character has levels in jedi but um is not a member of the jedi tradition uh, would they still have access to the Jedi talent trees, like lightsaber combat talent tree and such? Or is it basically GM discretion? Well, no, if they're taking levels in the Jedi class, then they have uh, access to those talent trees. Um, I, if you're taking those talents, but you're not a member of the Jedi Order, you've pretty much already you know, had to justify taking the Jedi class. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it you know, it should be fine. All right, cool. That, that, that makes good sense. That makes excellent good sense. All right, chat room, lay it on us. What questions do we have? I don't think we're going to have very many. They're back to well, tanking right now. <laughs> they're, 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 back, they're back to tanking. Um, well, most of the guys in the chat have, have, uh, have thrown up a lot of questions as well. 
Um, one I got asked a little while ago, Radster, um, in a similar vein to the one we just got asked was, and I think I know the answer to this, but I'm, I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, the, uh, whenever uh, something refers to a, a force talent, obviously something that's in the, the force chapter of the core rulebook, um, basically like to, basically to get into force adept, you need, you know, three force talents. Um, first and foremost, obviously anything in any of the Jedi class specific talents would not count towards that, correct? So um, if I to take block or deflect, you know what I mean? So say, say the question again from in, in short form. To gain access to the Force Adept Prestige class, you need okay. three Force talents. Okay. Right. Do any of the talents in the Jedi class count towards that? Ah, no. Okay. Yes, that is. They do not. Okay. Um, the Force talents are Control, Sense, Alter, Dark Side, and Light Side, and uh, I think. Guardian Spirit in the Jedi Academy training manual is a general force uh, talent tree. Let me double check that. That is correct. And then um, talent trees for force traditions count as force talents. Otherwise, no. Gotcha. So that was the other thing, too, was did the force tradition talent trees count? And Yes, yes, they do. Makes yes. intimate good sense. Excellent. Um... <laughs> what what is what is Buzz Effect asking? Um, Buzz is oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, Levistus Levistus had one before there. Of basically, would you consider a Force Shard's droid body under the Iron Knight section in the Jetum to be a vehicle for purposes of fold space? No, uh, this is something I've seen come up on the Wizards forums as well. Uh, the the shard's body is its body. Uh, the reason we did it that way is because it didn't actually make sense to stat up the shards as these crystals that are sedentary and don't move. I mean, why would you build a character like that, right? That's this if if you want to use that as an NPC, that's just like a hazard, basically, right? Um, the force, the the shards, their whole body is their droid body and their their crystal form. All combined, right? They're, they're, it's not a vehicle. They're not riding around in it. It's all one thing, right? That's like saying, oh, well, you know, your body is just a vehicle for your brain, right? That, that's not how that works. Ah, very well said. Thank you. So could you take a part and, like, dual customize it? So if you take one part off and you put it into a blaster <laughs> rifle. Oh, hush. Yes, you, could have a com- you could have a blaster rifle that also has a shard's droid body in it, right? It's going to be a little bulky. Right? All right. But, you know, so I could fold it. space, and if I bought a helmet... Well, only if you treat your helmet package as a vehicle. Ah, see? Ah. That's perfect. See? Ah, okay. All right. Now, Roddy, is that answer official? <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking right there. Is this an official answer? We're going to see this on the Wizards Forum tomorrow. It's officially sarcastic. There you go. Ah, very nice. Very ah, nice. Beautiful. So, all right, so the Mighty Penguins lost. Oh, that's a shame. Um, you know, I had to I had to mention that. And um, also, uh, Jimmy Johnson, that rat bastard, passed Tony Stewart with two laps to go uh, to win at Dover Downs today, and I was very upset Aww. by that. You can't tell me you're really a Tony Stewart fan, are you? I am a Tony Stewart fan. Ever since I was a shareholder at Home Depot, 
before well, Bob Nardelli was reason into the ground. That's a reasonable reason to be a uh, Tony Stewart fan. That's that's really I, the only I, reason. I don't have anything against the guy, right? But dude has a serious case of foot and mouth disease. He does. Would you imagine him? And okay, this is Danica Patrick's last uh, last year in her contract for IRL. So what if she moves to NASCAR? Would you imagine him and her? Wow. Boy, I tell you what, that would be a bonanza for NASCAR fans. Just from your head a, would explode from a hothead standpoint, <laughs> you know? Yeah, both of them would. Actually, oh, never mind. I'm sorry. Huh. God, family friendly podcast. Oh, right, family friendly. Okay, sorry. All right, hey, a uh, couple more questions, uh, Star Warsy style. Uh, one from Jedi Academy that we didn't actually get uh, an official um, uh, an official request for, but I've seen it enough times. Um, on page 106 of Jedi Academy, um, the uh, I've, I've, I've always pronounced. Do you pronounce uh, like Uru's species? Do you pronounce it the Selegian, the Kalegian? How is it? The, is it a hard C, soft C? Um, I say Selegian, but that doesn't mean Sel- anything. Right. Well, well, there you go. Okay, so Selegian. One of the things they talk about is the fact that a Selegian uh, basically has to be encased in this special environmental chamber, um, or, or or it suffocates. Um, but there's really no stats for the special environmental chamber, but also it doesn't come with its equipment kind of the way like uh, you know a, Kel- a Keldor does with its breath breathing gear. Is this because we don't really want this to be a player race or thoughts? If a player wants to play a Selegian? Uh they're really. I mean, obviously they're in an NPC style stat block, right? Exactly. So they uh, they really aren't intended for player use. Uh, I think it's safe to assume that the the pressure chamber comes with. The uh, the Selegian species, sort of like how Keldor get a face mask and stuff like that, uh, and you can just sort of assume that it's a a, an, a piece of equipment that doesn't affect their statistics in any way. Makes sense. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Agent Vincent uh, had a question for you. Yeah. He wanted to know, Rodney, what is your favorite class in Star Wars, and how many dark side points would you get in a single game ses- session on average? <laughs> It's really hard for me to pick my favorite class. Um, I typically tend to play Jedi just because I'm I'm really I'm really big on getting getting the Jedi right. Right, like I want to play as a Jedi that feels very classic trilogy. Right, and uh, in fact, more more classic trilogy than prequel trilogy. Right, so I'm always playing Jedi to in, in sort of this aspiration to you know portray the Obi-Wan Kenobi style Jedi, right? Um, And then a close second behind that is probably Scoundrel, just because, you know, everybody wants to be Han Solo. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, very good. All right. Well, chat room, thank you very much for supplying us a whole bunch of questions. We uh, appreciate your... Efforts, as always, guys, being around here, 157. I think it's a new record for the Order 66 podcast. Wow. It's not a record for D20 Radio, however. It is a record for the Order 66 podcast. That's right. Yeah, the Holocron that had Sam Witwer on it, uh, top 200. Really? 200 live listeners? Yeah, so it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, that was a couple of weeks here. Ago. I was thinking I was all cool because I set a record for, you know, Order sixty six, <laughs> and now I'm never going to hear the end of it from Sam, who's going to be like, "Yeah, try top two hundred. Yeah, and he's that way too. I mean, he's all he's all competitive <laughs> and stuff, you know. 
He is very competitive. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to the summer. I'm I'm driving through California to uh, uh to go down to San Diego Comic Con. We're doing a road trip, and I'm looking forward to seeing him. But I'm afraid it's going to turn into some kind of weird contest. You know how those freaky Hollywood types are. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, you know, just, I, I still remember when we had him on. I don't know if we were broadcasting at the time, but he's like, "Hang on, I got to get dinner." I just said I ordered in dinner, and he went to the he went to the door, and he came back, and he was eating. I'm like, "So what are you eating?" He's like, "Sushi." I'm like, "You you had sushi delivered?" You know, that's not that weird, and and well, okay, it's weird <laughs> if you don't live on the West Coast. But the thing to realize Fair about enough. the West Coast is is Asian food is to the West Coast, or at least the Pacific Northwest, as let's say Mexican food is to the Southeast and, and Texas and stuff like that in that it's everywhere. Right. So if I want to have sushi delivered, I could have sushi delivered right now. Um, I don't because I'm not a huge sushi fan, but it's, it's everywhere, man. And, uh, that's, that's been a huge adjustment for me moving out here to the Northwest in that back home, I'm used to, you know, East coast food, right? My pizzas and burgers and, you know, uh, Mexican food, right? All kinds of stuff like that. And then move out here and everything's just a little bit different, right? Like I'm I'm pretty sure the West Coast hasn't figured out pizza yet. Um, but when they do, boy howdy, that will be a great day. So you're saying you can't get a decent pizza delivered on the West Coast? No, I mean there's there is good pizza here, right? I, I found a few. But it's just it's not the same as like Chicago, right? Or mm. New York. Or even like I, I haven't found a really great hole-in-the-wall pizza place, right? Like, back home in Tennessee, I always used to have two or three different places that I could go to that, that felt like, you know, a, a restaurant that was dedicated to just pizza, and they, they had their own sort of unique flavor and flair and stuff like that. And I haven't found that yet here in the Seattle area. But to be fair, you know, I haven't looked in every nook and cranny. So it might be out there, but I haven't found it yet. Now... Earlier, Dave was talking about Dave. You went out to California and got to, uh, just over the weekend and got to meet, uh, spend some time with Sam. Too. I did. What uh, what what did you eat while you were out there? What did I eat in California? Yeah. Well, you know, being that the girls are are in the soccer tournament, right? We pretty much have to stick to carb rich foods. So it was Italian, and it was Italian, and between games, it was Subway. And it was more Italian. I mean, that's that was pretty much it. I mean, yeah, so I, I can't say that we had any local cuisine or anything of that nature. It just was what it was, you know. Now, uh, we did have Asian food when we went to, uh, what beach? Laguna Beach. Oh, and if you, if you, if you get a chance uh, on your way down... Um, Rodney, uh, if you're if you're like taking the the five out of L.A. and you can detour over to Laguna Beach, okay, on on I think it's California 22. I'm not positive, or maybe 31. I don't remember. Anyway, Laguna Beach is so freaking gorgeous, especially at sunset. And uh, I just I went crazy taking pictures. Uh, me and a gal that I went with. Um, one of the other players' moms, we just went nuts taking pictures down there because it was just absolutely perfect conditions. And then there's, there's this, this quaint little town that is, uh, it reminds me of Breckenridge, is, is the best thing I can, I can say. Just little mom-and-pop stores, you know, there's no real chains down there, just, you know, a bunch of boutiques, kind of posh, uh, just, you know, really hilly. There's a cliff. I mean, just 
everything you want at a beach is right there on Laguna Beach. It's fantastic. So, you know, if you have the chance, it's a little bit of a detour, but um, it is fantastic as you get to down or south of L.A. Well, we're actually, our route that we're taking down to San Diego is pretty circuitous. We're going out, uh, basically driving down the coast once we get into California, because uh, we're making stops. So basically, we're we're going to go from Seattle down to Portland, and that's not very much of a drive. But then we're stopping in Eureka, where the Redwoods are, and then down to San Francisco, and then down to Anaheim, and, and uh, Monterey, and then down to San Diego, basically sticking to the coast on the way down. So I'll be sure and, and see if we have time for that. Yeah. Although it's it's going to be a pretty crunch trip because we've got a lot of stuff we want to do. I've never been very much of anywhere in California. I've been in Los Angeles once, uh, right. and that was for a celebration a few years ago where I met Sam for the first time, oh, uh, interestingly enough. There you go. Now, if you and do go... So, yeah. If you, if you go down Pacific Coast Highway, that'll get you there too. But I yeah, that's I th- I believe that's the way we're going. Oh, dude, that's gonna be that's gonna take you right by. So awesome. Yeah, it'll take you. Now, yeah, it's everywhere you want to go right there along the coast. It's beautiful. Now, Rodney, last time you were on the cast, you mentioned that during Memorial Day weekend, you're going to be heading off on a trip to have like this awesome, magnanimous gaming weekend. Uh, yes. How, how did that go? It was great. Uh, it's this is the third time I've done it with those guys, but they've done it four times overall. And it's uh, Chris Youngs, who is the head honcho of D&D Insider, and uh, Jeff Alvarez, who is the vice president of production at Paizo, I think. I can't remember his exact title, but he's, uh, he's a VP over at Paizo. And uh, then some of their friends that they've known for a long time. And we drove up to um, a place called Blaine. It's just like 20, 30 minutes north of Bellingham, Washington, which is uh, this sort of... Super hippie town in uh, in in Washington that has an awesome brewery called the Boundary Bay Brewery, and uh, we we stopped in Bellingham, picked up a, uh, a keg of beer, drove up to Blaine, and basically we spent a good solid two days doing nothing but playing board games, and it was really awesome. Um, I actually didn't play as many new games that I hadn't played before this time, mostly because I've been playing a lot more board games recently. But there were a few gems that uh, quickly made their way onto my must-own list, including Shogun and Space Alert, both of which are awesome games. Beautiful. Oh, I haven't played Space Alert. Uh. Space Alert is awesome. It's really hard to find right now. Um, it's also not a game that you want to play with someone that gets that suffers from a lot of analysis paralysis. But it is. Uh, it's great. <laughs> well, all right, Rodney. Again, man, thanks a lot for taking the time i wanted to say Pleasure. next week we've got uh, some logistical problems i'm i'm actually flying out of town for business and you've got in-laws in town so we may wind up taking another week off i swear we're gonna we pod may. fade it's like we've been doing every bah. other week for a month and a half but bah. you know <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna we'll pod fade hey, we may, maybe may, hopefully we can be we can get together on friday night for a cast we'll see um but We'll see. I will be posted on the forums, Gamer Nation, either way. Right. Either way, I definitely am doing a Holocron Friday night. Um, that is a priority because E3 is going to be wrapping up. And, uh, That's right. We are absolutely right. doing a Holocron, so you guys look at least forward to that. And if we get an Order 66 in, great. If not, oh well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. So no with that, thanks again to Trevor, Alex, everybody who called in bumpers, Fiddleback, GM Chris, and of course our guest Rodney Thompson for making this show everything that it could be. You guys stay hard, keep jamming, and we'll see you.